You're listening to The Crunch with Cam Slater. Right here on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Matt McCartan is one of New Zealand's finest experts in the dark arts of politics. He and I have a long history on opposing sides, but Matt has always been easy to deal with and a straight shooter. He is one of my most respected operators in politics, and he's with me now as this week's political tragic. Welcome, Matt. Morning, brother. Uh, We've had a long and uh, fractious uh, relationship politically, haven't we, Matt? We have indeed. We have indeed. I wouldn't say, yeah, well, fractious, um, but not personal, but we uh, come from different sides of the uh, field. So we engage, when we engage, it's normally over conflict. Yep. But so I've always been amicable. Well, that's the thing, Matt, is, uh, you know, we've never seen eye to eye politically, but on some issues we've contacted each other for assistance uh, now and then and have a what I call a collegial business, opera, um, you know, relationship with each other, and we seem to get on all right. And it's it yeah. seems to be uh, something that is somewhat lacking in politics these days. Um, yes, mainly because this, this, this is my experience. Because I, I, I come from a trade union background, it's that I'm negotiating with um, employers, some mm-hmm. good, you know, they're just doing their job, um, yeah. and then some who I deal a lot in the migrant exploitation world, yeah, and if people have a belief system like you and I have, then you can disagree on the issue you are discussing, but it's not personal. What I find is what politics is personal when people don't really. This is my experience that people who take things personally seem to not really have a strong. They're not really in politics because of politics, yeah, you know, or political. Core, 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 it comes quite personal. Why mm. would I get upset as an absurd, uh, adversary who's articulating is what they believe in? Yeah. Right? Like why, why would I get upset by that? Because we live in a civil society, right? So we're debating. And sometimes, I know it will shock you, Ken, but sometimes you, you might be right and I might have to accept it. And on the other hand, that might be the same. You see, that's where you, you're a conviction. We do conviction politics. So therefore, it's not personal, you know? And so therefore, what I find in the middle ground of politics sort of is like their political differences aren't that great. So therefore, they they tend to make their differences quite personal. That that just be like. Well, you know, politics tends to be a zero-sum game where one side has to win and the other side has to lose. And I think that... Uh, over time, both you and I have kind of ended up in the same place. You're talking about the middle ground, and you know I'm no longer, um, you know, a tribal nat or tribal any particular political party, and I'm looking for solutions that are great, uh, are good for the country as a whole, um, with a, a firm belief that we should look after New Zealand first and foremost. Um, ahead of perhaps some of the other countries around the world that, you know, always seeking New Zealand's input. And well, so so I think, you know, you and I are, uh, have come from different ends of the political spectrum and we're meeting in the middle, which is kind of ironic considering where we've both come from. 
I think you should wash your mouth out as when as, <laughs> as when you say the middle. Um, it's a dirty word. We can't have that. No, I, I, I think you're right. I mean, if we're not aligned to political parties. Mm. When you're aligned to political par- parties, you have a certain collective responsibility, right? You can't be a free agent. You can't eat, eat, you know, you can't have it both ways. So that when you're not, you can say what you think, you know, with, with, without that sense, I can't say that because that compromises the yeah. change. Yeah. So then you've always been a bit of a free agent sort of anyway. Um, and a lot of times I haven't been, but you, know, you, you, keep, you keep your own faith. You know, and, you, and you always be, um, um, you have disciplines on your times, but you should always articulate as what you believe in. And I think that you've always, well, my relationship with you, you've always been that. Don't like some of it, um, but I know that you believe it, you know, mm. and that's important, and I respect that. So, sorry, and I sort of forget that. I ca- I'll come back to what I, was, I started off with about employers. I will work with any of them because, they believe in what they've got to do. Yeah, they've got a responsibility to shareholders, et cetera. And I've got a responsibility to the workers. And therefore, you both concede that you have a difference and a conflict of interest. You just do. But yeah. that doesn't make it all personal. That makes it is that you have a responsibility both sides. And I always say a lot of the bosses said, look, I don't like this capitalism very much at all. But I don't bring that to the table. I'm here to do work on behalf of your workers, and therefore we accept that. And once we get past that ideological stuff, we're just there to do the job. And so I've always been able to keep an integrity with the people I go up against with. Always can shake hands, you know, and I think that that's important. I do that in politics too, as well. That's why I don't get personal about that. I never have. Never have. Well, I've always found you to be a man of your word, Matt. And, um, you know, we've looked each other in the eye across the table and shaken hands on on yep. particular things. We may not have 100% agreed with where we were heading on that, but we 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 found a solution to a particular problem and, and we've gone ahead with that. And I've always respected you for your ability to do that. And it's one of the things that I find missing a lot in politics these days, the ability to sit down across a table or have a beer or a Chardonnay or whatever your particular tipple is uh, and and actually nut out some solutions. Yeah, well, you and I are old school, right? Mm. And we come from old school. And the world has changed now where people can't be straight, you know, and can't be direct because right? mm. it's all about feelings. And I yeah. think that the institutions in society now have been inherited by the culture of, and I, and I say this and I don't mean it in a way it could be um, construed, but I come from a background of working class people, just talk straight. Yeah. And I've been with bosses, talk straight. Um, but what I deal with in politics now, everyone is watching is what they say and also what they think. And I think that's made us a, a less tolerant society and a less honest society, you know, and and I think that's what I admire those who have beliefs. They actually say what they think, and I think that you know, but that's coming less and less so. Well, that, that that's what's prompted you to join the free free speech union, isn't it? Yeah, 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 indeed, indeed. And of course, all of my well mates on my uh, left of the thing just say, "Oh, this is a right wing thing. You shouldn't belong to it." 
this is about an issue of free speech. Mm. And I've just been appalled at those that I have to explain sometimes to, like, um, and it stresses me to have to explain to them, free speech has always been an issue, a campaign of the left. Yep. It was always about, because free speech was muzzled by those without power, and that those who had power used the state to get so with unions. I just know, you know, the amount of time I've been silenced um, in the work that I do, you know, run off to the authority or the courts, get muzzled or, 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 or orders on. If you look at the history of any country but New Zealand, you know, 51, they passed laws that mm-hmm. you weren't allowed to speak to the workers. The workers were not to be given voice. I, I've got a, um, a gazetna donated to me by the old communists and yep. they used it during the 51 blue to do printing of their mat of their leaflets in the um in the Hillsborough uh graveyard in the cemetery there. They were in one of the things and they used to do their printing there at night because they were not allowed to have their message heard, heard out. And all the tradition has always been that state stops those without power from speaking. And I just I I I don't know how the left has got itself into a position, or many of the left, I should say, I shouldn't say all, um, seem to think that free speech is dangerous. Just extraordinary. Well, that's where they're talking about these, you know, these hate speech laws. And I always say with things like that and with censorship and, you know, all of the things that we saw happen during the madness of the pandemic where the government of the day, and supported by the opposition parties, I might add, leapt on board totalitarianism in a heartbeat, something that you've spent a lifetime fighting against. And I've spent a lifetime explaining why we must never go down this path of the state having these awesome powers. Because, you know, I always say, be careful what you wish for. You know, the the right wing might bring in, in, someone might bring in hate speech laws, but I can see the left wing um, being silenced by the very laws that they brought in. Oh, absolutely. Look, look, I I accept that when the the pandemic took hold in the world, that people were scared. Mm. And that we, New Zealand was lucky because we were down the other end of the world and it took a a while to get here. So we had time to get precautions in. And whether you believe in the vaccine or not, I think that New Zealand handled it well, but then continued on where it was unnecessary, keeping things back. So, But I was the thing which I got from it was the power of the state and how the left just just, just marched in step with it. I, 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 I was just, I found that extraordinary. And, the, and I think the thing which was really stunned me was when the campers, um, the occupiers went to par- Parliament yep. and the trade union movement you know, um, passed a resolution and put out a statement supporting the police removing the protesters <laughs> and I just like, I was just stunned, now I, I'm not in the leadership of the trade union movement anymore but I called my old union which I founded yep. and said to them, you know, we can't have a part of any of that and and the CPU put the statement out, and I understand my union went went along with it. Which I just think, where does a union movement support the state removing protesters from the People's Parliament? 
in a civil society. You know, what way were they they're afraid of the people, want to shut them down? You know, and you and I both know, in another life, you see, you'd have someone like a Muldoon or a uh, mm. Norm Kirk. They'd go down there like Winston Peterson. You go and take a look what the thing, and you engage. But what we have is a fear of the people and that if we don't like their ideas or what they're saying, instead of debating, we'll close it down. And I mean, how hard would it have been for them to go and put up a, a tent and a couple of chairs and a table and say, oh, it right. Would have been great. It would have been great because if Jacinda, you know, St. Jacinda, went down, <laughs> down there, no, but she was very popular, right? And she yep. goes down with, 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 with a number of the MPs. And so, look, let's have a dialogue, you know, yeah. and be respectful. And New Zealanders are respectful, you know. I mean, they are. It's just our, our culture. Yeah. And, you know, it, it, it would have been um, – it's like when Helen Clark, when she wouldn't meet the Māori land march for the uh, seabed and foreshores, yeah. she wants to meet sheep, uh, uh, sh- uh, shriek the sheep and wouldn't uh, engage with them, you see. And all that thing is about this, this respect. And you create something that you probably wish you hadn't. If Clark hadn't had treated the Māori protesters with more respect when they came round to Parliament, may well maybe they wouldn't have had a Māori party. You know, maybe because they said, "Well, we're, we're going to have our own voice." Why, Jacinda, I think, and Mallard mishandling the protest, supported by the you know the, the institutional left. Um, I think they missed an opportunity in it, and I think it's built a working class resentment, which you know was unnecessary. So, and if you if you'd been Jacinda Ardern's chief of staff, would you have advised her to go and talk to them? And, absolutely. And absolutely. Do you think that would have diffused the whole situation, and they would have packed up and gone home after a couple of days? Well, even if they didn't go home, don't look. You know, they're entitled. I, I'm, I'm a, well, you know, I've always protested, right? Because I think that bringing gre- grievances to the attention is important in the civil society. All change, it comes through confrontation. It doesn't come to, through persuasion. You know, every, every time you have a major push, it's because there's been conflict. Mm. And I'm not saying physical conflict, I'm saying it's a conflict of ideas and it needs to be expressed. So, you know, if Jacinda had gone down down there, she would have um, gained the respect, but also given respect to the protesters. You know, to so say, look, you know, because they had a legitimate beef, and whether you agree with it or not, it was legitimate right to protest and saying that we were going too far in the misuse of the states. And I, there were, there were anti-vaxxers and others, but that's just smears. Okay, yes, I, but there were a lot of other people there. Mm. And the people I know who are friends of mine who are independent journalists or like yourself, they went down and one of them, uh, which you would know, he went down to interview the protest and put it up. And he got pilloried, pilloried. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah. for interviewing the, the protesters. When has that ever happened in in left politics? It's just you know, it's it's like it's a different beast now. Well, I'm f- I find it strange, Matt. I have to say that you and I seem to have more in agreement with each other these days than we ever did in the past. And we'll have to work on our di- 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 differences before the end of the call. That way, that we can get back to normal. <laughs> I don't know if I want to go back to normal. I'm enjoying uh, having discourse with political opponents without any sort of, 
you know, anger or or distrust or or angst or anything negative. It's just conversation, and I'm enjoying it. And um, I, I I wish I could pour myself, you know, back in time and change a few things. Do you wish you, there's some aspects, Matt, that you could go back in time to to do something different? Oh, not more than once an hour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, let's talk about. That they have no, no, no regrets. Has not had a life. No, exactly. Well, let's talk about um, something that's not too far in the in the distant past. In 2014, you were the chief of staff to David Cunliffe. Yes, I was. You had a, an election campaign where David Cunliffe uh, announced uh, at the campaign launch that. This, this is what he said. This ca- election campaign should not be about dirty tricks or dodgy deals or smear campaigns or even a personality cult. Now, that was on the 7th of July, 2014. Now, you were in that in, in a group of the Labour Party, and you came up with the slogan, vote positive, which at the time I sat there scratching my head. What does that mean? What does that mean? And it didn't mean anything. And it certainly didn't mean anything during the election campaign unless one thing happened. And that one thing was the release of Nikki Hager's book, Dirty Politics. So I'm just going to put you on the spot now, Matt. How much heads up did you guys have about his book? I can't speak for others. I'll speak for for myself. Absolutely. Yeah. So you've got to remember, I went down there in the early part of 2014 yeah, and I had been, as I said to Cumbers, sort of at at the time, I've been trying to kill your party for the last ten, 10 to twenty years, right, from the alliance side. But yeah. the alliance no longer around, so you know I'm a working class boy, so in help. But I was, um, I hadn't been part of the Labour Party thing, you know, since my twenties, you know. So, so, so I didn't really know the internal culture. I mean, I knew enough about them, but so I always decisions about being positive and. Um, and um, and the inside sort of things, I had no knowledge of them because they were done before I arrived. You know, yeah. so, so so it wasn't. I'm, I'm not thinking. You know, if I knew about it, I'd I'd say it. Um, what does your gut say, though, Matt? About what does your gut say about how close Labor was to Nikki Hager, and that the book was not just a mere coincidence, but actually. Planned? Not. I have no knowledge of that. And if you ask me anything, I know Nicky, you know, um, yeah. uh, in the early days, he never was close to Labour at all. And I yeah. never saw him in any late Labour events or had his name around his door from Nicky and his mate. He always had a thing to be independent. Um, and the conversations I've ever had with him, uh, he's got nothing to do with the late Labour Party. I think Helen. Clark with one of his books in her election, right? That she attacked him. Um, yeah, the seeds of distrust. Yeah, so I, I, I think, you know, and look, I, I, I'm going back. It's a long time ago now, but hand on heart, I don't recall in a meeting where I, where I was involved in, is there's any discussion about our mate Nikki? Yeah, I, I don't recall that at all, um, and I haven't seen Nikki for twenty years. You know, yeah, so. He's a Wellington sort of creature. Well, as I said before earlier earlier on in this interview, Matt, I've 
you've always found you a man of your word, and I'll accept that you no, don't no, no, know anything was, about yeah. that. But it just seemed to me to be a very happy coincidence, at the very least. Yeah, my experience is that parties, I know this will shock you, but parties aren't that smart. Yeah, no, this doesn't shock me at all. I know. Yeah, you know, the the world, you think everyone's clever and they're sitting in bunkers and plotting things out and they've got their mats up on the wall and they kind of think a thing and, you know, and people kind of of think there's some master plan. Most of the thing is just... um, Humbling. Yeah, and and cock-ups. Yeah. And, and, you know, because everything, as you know, in our politics or party politics is all committee-itis. That all decisions are never made, and um, you sit in rooms and you talk about things, but you don't really decide a lot. And most of the politicians I've come across are not conviction politicians in the way that I would like them to be. So they have trouble in making decisions, you know, and you know because they've taken all the things what if and what if. I was a bit lucky with Jim Anderton, mm-hmm. and I know that PP people have a jaundiced view of Jim at many times, but. One thing he had, which was very good, he 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 believed in stuff. He believed in stuff, yeah. and he made decisions. Yes. And I think that's the requirement. Uh, you know, Richard Prepper once said to me, which I thought was good. He goes, "The main thing in politics you need to have is ability to have courage and yeah. ability to make decisions." Yeah. Or do have courage and ability to make decisions. And he's right. Most politicians, and certainly those who are centre, seeing centre left or centre right, you know, there's a bit of mush in there, they're yep. not like that. You ever think no. about committeeitis and, you know, and everyone's all scared and they watch each other, but they don't really think about what do we do to help, you know, to make our society be better, fairer, better, you know, at least to have a view. So I have more respect for those on the right. Who have who have a conviction about something, then at least I know what we're dealing with, and you can make agreements and shake hands and get yeah. past the long pathway because at least you're fighting about a, an issue, not about where I like somebody. What do I care? It's not about us. No, yeah. and that's the that's the thing is that you know I, I used to be on Martin Bradbury's TV show, and he always tried to have a guest on that was going to attack me and. Um, get Cam, and you know he used to say, "I'll oh, get Chris Trotter on. He's very smart. He'll beat Cam." And it was always for Martin a zero sum game. Someone had to win and someone had to lose. And I think it was um, extreme frustration for him when Chris Trotter and I, or you and I, or, or anybody else, we'd be on the show, and and at some point, one or other of us would say, "You know what? I, you know, I think Matt's right on that." Or Chris Trotter say, you know what, I agree with Cam on that. And um, I don't think he ever understood that, by and large, we all want the same things for this country. We've just got a different approach to get there. I think that's right at some point. Yeah, it, it, it's funny. When I negotiate as well on toys, they, they say the same thing. And you, Matt, we all want the same things. No, we don't. Because your job is to maximise return to your share shareholders, and my job is to get a bigger return to the workers. So we don't yeah. have things in common. Um, yeah, well, 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 we do, but we don't have um, uh, we have conflicts of interest. But in a society, what we think is best, we'll have differences on that. But I think what we want to do is reach agreements that we think will advance us toward toward or that. So I agree with you on that. So. Even though I tend to find a 
better political, they get better political education and be able to submit another view to to others on the right, and that's a healthier debate than sometimes Mm. left because. Sometimes on the left, when you're with your own tribe, it's sort of really a religious experience about who's the best <laughs> of all, you know, like you yeah. know, how, how we can be outraged at the most things. You know, you talk to people on the left on my side, right? You talk about something like, you know, if you want to you want to upset the crowd and get them all going, just use the word Trump. The way they go, you know, and then it becomes like, like how much we all hate him, but it doesn't actually advance us much, you know? No. And, and I think what's important about debates is I think it's actually testing your ideas, you know, yes. and then and then and then and then testing their ideas because you always come along. I always walk, walk walk away from any event and say, "What did I learn? Did I learn something?" And if I didn't, well, what's the point? <laughs> yeah. ah, exactly, exactly right. Let's move to more modern times. Mm-hmm. You're the ultimate insider. You know how. Political parties deal with crises and cock ups and stuff ups and everything else. Sure. Let's talk about an implosion of a career recently in the Labour Party. And I'm talking about Michael Wood here, a guy who was the understudy to Phil Goff for decades, mm-hmm. uh, has long wanted to be, you know, he probably has, still has uh, ambitions to be Prime Minister. And he tanked his career over essentially a Big Mac, chips, and a Coke. Yeah. What? What? what tell, tell me from your perspective what you were thinking when you watched all this unfold. Because I was gobsmacked. I just couldn't believe that someone would jeopardize their career in such a way over the equivalent of a Big Mac, chips, and a Coke. I, I, I agree. And you know, you put it down to hubris, really, sort of, really, really. You know, you know that when someone becomes an MP, the IQ jumps by twenty points, and they suddenly, um, you know, you know, before they were an MP, that they were a nobody. Then they suddenly become an MP, and everyone all thinks they're important, right? And Michael's bright, mm. um, and works hard, ambitious, and these are all good, good traits. I like those people because they work hard; they want to prove themselves. And he, when he would see him, I wouldn't, I don't know if he would have succeeded, but he was not, he was not shy about positioning himself that one day I could be the prime minister, you know? Yeah. And, um, yeah. and then what happened, you know? And it's just extraordinary. So I think there's two points, right? I, I, I think there is him. And, you know, you and I both know this, and I've been guilty of, of myself, right? You've got to have your personal life. You know, or your personal way, way you conduct yourself, pretty, pretty strong. You know, because yeah. if you're in a high, high, high powered job, you're going to be under a lot of stress, and you're going to, you've got to be careful about dropping the ball. You know, and I think got a blind spot. It was about a nothing. Um, the finances and all the trust stuff and the shares are really man- man- managed by his wife, Julie, right? Yeah. And I don't think between them he could keep. I don't know how our family operates, you know, like pillow talk and that, and they go, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll do it, I'll do it, not realising. I think that because he, you know, when you start important to all these really important things, yeah. that's a very small thing. But, you know, as you know, right, the Cabinet Office uh, went to him 12 times. Yeah. Now, which part of those 12, 12 times do you think, shit, I better get on with that, you know? 
Um, and he kept telling me what, but he wouldn't. Then three times they went to the prime minister's office. Mm. Now, see, and that's when that's where I really think is where the problem is, right? You know, I get with my my uncle is, is arrogant and they think you know I'm so special it doesn't matter and all this sort of thing. Hey, I will get round to it. Right? Not seeing the political thing, but someone like a chief of staff job is to look at it politically, and they should have gone down. You know, you and I know how it works. You go down there and say. I mean, but the cabinet officer has spoken to Jacinda twice. And so she's, oh no, she spoke to him twice. But you see, there's no baseball bat, right? <laughs> let's like, hold hands and kumbaya and let's be gentle with each other, right? Yeah. What required was, was a growing up discussion. Hey, Michael, the Prime Minister said to you twice now, I want confirmation on Monday that they're all being sold. Are we clear? Good. Okay, now here's the thing. If you haven't given me the evidence by Monday, don't turn up the cabinet. Yeah. Okay, you got that? Are we all clear? All right, because it's not about you, it's about us. Yeah. Okay. And just don't turn up the cabinet. Then he would have sold them. Right? So it's a question of, you know, and you looked at the recently with uh, Kerry Allenate, you know, there's something about soft management you know, and touchy-feely which comes and bites you in the ass. I yeah. think that's what happened with Michael. Nobody went to him and said, get it sold this week, send me the sale, Dr. Hockman, and don't tune up to take cabinet until it's done. There was no Heather Simpson, was there? Exactly. No yeah. one who made just a mere you know, indication on your phone that Heather Simpson was calling you would would make your insides turn to liquid with well, fear. Yeah. I, I look, you know, as you know, right, there's a bit of um like all management, you, you you create these um iconic um people because it suits the history. But yeah, she but but you had someone and she'd been there for a long time. She was Clark's age two. Yeah, know, she, she was saying, and so people knew that she had a she was more than just the chief. chief when she spoke, she was speaking for the prime minister. She spoke for the prime minister, and there was a con- see what she had was there was a consequence. Yes, you know, and people understood it. What we've had is under Jacinda's leadership, a style which worked for a while. Yeah. It worked for a while, and people liked it and things. But what you had was we'd be kind, right? People liked that. Might be kind. But there's the other part of it internally, there needs to be some teeth too. Yeah. You know? And you've got to kind of, and then she'd have errant MPs, and they were just cautioned. And she put people into positions who shouldn't have been in there because she wants to be kind. It doesn't want to hurt people's feelings. You're running the bloody country. Yeah. You know? So what we had was MPs had no consequence. And so, you know, you created, and under Chris Fitkins as well, right, there's still an element of that, and he's had to pay the price for it because what it shows is weak leadership. One thing New Zealanders don't like is weakness. We've never liked weakness. Look at the leaders that we've had. You know, Robert Muldoon, very strong. David Longy, very strong. Yeah. Um, you know, Jenny Shipley, Helen Clark, yeah, very strong leaders. And then we've sort of got the mealy-mouthed ones after the Helen Clark. Well, I think, yeah, I think I, I think that, that that's right, and I think that's a, a a culture which you know it's got to have both. You know, it's like you know. It's gentle or it's not gentle, you know, because you've got to get results. It's like, 
when I do negotiations with big employers or with criminal employers or exploiters, you always are polite and thing until you're not. Mm-hmm. And I was yeah. on a call with someone this morning. She said, look, I work with good faith. Yeah. But now you're not wearing good, good, good faith. So now I'm going to burn the house down. And then <laughs> I'm going to follow through. Like, you don't bluff. So there will be a consequence. So what in politics, these, these, you know, with Stuart Nash, who I don't have so much blame, blame for, but there was two steps, you know, before yeah. he's pushed down. You had, you had... Um, Claire Curran was another one. Claire Curran. They get chance after chance. Yeah. You know, and I used to say to some... Uh, in the past, you know, that sometimes you've got to hang someone in the village square so that everyone all understands, <laughs> you know, is that, you know, you've got to, you know, if you don't have discipline, and one of the things when I went down with the Labour Party in 2014, as you said, in the election year, which they were going to lose, yeah, it's full of factionalisation, division, yep. factionalisation. And I thought, well, I don't know. I know, you know, most of those guys, they all think I've got horns and tail. Good, I'll make it work. So my thing was to stop them from from fighting each other, you know, yeah. undermining each other. And my my thing was simple, is that I would talk to them about their responsibilities to the people who put them there. Yeah. What about them? There are people who vote for them no matter what because they believe in them yeah. and they betray them by working on their little vanities, van- van- who's up and who's down and who's got to think. Now, that didn't work for most of them, but they all got the message of the moral responsibility. And when there was a leak or undermining, I'd go and see them. Yeah. And I'd call them out on it. Yeah. I'd say, look, this has been going on and you've been accused of this. I didn't do it. Good, I believe you. Good, yeah. excellent. Well, I'm not going to call you a liar, right? Mm. But I'm going to leave now and assure the leader it wasn't you. Oh, but brother or sir, sir, sister, I I don't have to do this again, eh? We don't have to do this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then it stops. That's, that's right. But that's because there was consequences, and that that seems to me to be the major flaw of MMP is that there are not the electoral consequences that there used to be for doing appalling things. You know, the Labor Party suffered that in in uh in nineteen ninety, you know, after six years of, of the Douglas years uh and all of the the you know things that happened then, there was a, a consequence for that and it was a landslide election victory. Yeah, well that's what that's exactly right. And that's what you've got to always be a bit it's the sort of thing as you know, when you do party politics, right? You have responsibility for you know, to do it collectively and to yeah. you know, if you sign up for it, you do your bloody job. You know, I, I, you know, that you and I are free agents now, so we can do whatever we like, right? We can say whatever we like, and that's fine. And that's how we should be. But once you take a collective gold and you work for them, then you have a responsibility. You don't go to lies, but you just do your bloody job, you know? And yeah, um, and I don't think that some VMPs, they actually think that it's a privilege for us to have them, you know, not the other way around, you know? And... Every MP should always wake up each morning and say, what a privilege. What a privilege to do this job. And I get paid to do it. Mostly yeah. they do it as volunteers. You know? Most, and, mostly they look in the mirror and go, aren't I great? Well, unfortunately, there's now no, but most of them are actually quite fearful. Yeah. You know? 
Um, I mean, there's a, I don't mind the ambitious. Um, um, well, they make things happen, don't they, Matt? Yeah, well, they want to prove themselves. So I like those ones because they can hold them to account. It's those who are fearful and all they do is scared about, you know, I think that some of them got an imposter um, um, in, in here. They probably say that they shouldn't be there. I mean, you know this, right? It's about a third of the MPs um, do the work, do yep. the leadership. About a third are okay, you know, yep. will be solid, you know, and all be stars, but they get the job done. And the other third of Do you think, what are they doing here? Yeah, they're not fit for man or beast, are they, mostly? And so, and when you've got a party with a long tail, then that's going to show. You can cope with a third of big bats. I always say, well, this is what you get in a representative society, that even the dumb are allowed to have some representatives here. So, you know, that's how I can cope with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... This election is shaping up to be critical, perhaps one of the most important elections in my you lifetime, mean, in your lifetime. Um, you mean unlike every other election, which is which they say the same thing? Well, they, you're right. They do say the same thing, you know, and, and I look back on them and I think, you know, and this is what people say, if we've got to get rid of this government because otherwise this country is lost or whatever, and I sit there and think, well, yeah, they said that at the end of the Douglas Longy years. They said that at the end of the Jim Bolger years. We said that at the end of the Helen Clark years. And I look back on those battles, and I think compared to where we're at today, they were nothing. And I, I am genuinely fearful about the future of New Zealand for the first time in my life. Is, we said all those things in the past, but we've seen – Governments use the fearsome powers of the state against its own citizens. And there wasn't very much pushback on that at all, and that frightens me. Yeah, I was a bit surprised by that too. And I think um, and I think it's not just in this country. I think it's around the world. Um, and you think that's the main sort of issue for the solution? I think that we've seen a flipping of... The roles, and you alluded to it earlier, saying that you know, free speech and freedoms and rights and all of those sorts of things used to be the wheelhouse of of the left. You know, some of the great advances that we've made in human rights have, have come from you know those left wing parties. Oh no, that's right. They challenged the right to speak. Exactly, you know, Martin you know, Luther King. You know, I mean, look at Mandela. I mean, if they started off the free speech until the state oppressed them, then they turned to more violent means. Yeah. And we, we've got this situation happening now where we've got, you know, in the United States, we've, we've seen collusion between the federal government and tech companies to silence people simply for having a differing opinion. We, we've had the advent of that here in New Zealand. We've got, you know, uh, this hate speech laws. We've even looked, got individuals like Nikki Hager, for example, who who wrote a book, in my case, because he wanted me silenced mm. because I had a different point of view and a different uh, outlook on life. And that concerns me more than almost anything else, that we we haven't learned 
any of the lessons that we had from history where totalitarianism never ends well. No. And yet we dabbled with that and enthusiastically jumped on board that as a nation. And yeah. and that concerns me. And, and for that reason, and it's my view that this actually really is important because we're, we're at a crossroads here. We can either continue down the path to what I see as destruction with separatism, with uh, the inability, you know, polarization, all of those sorts of things, or we draw a line under that. But the problem with drawing a line under that is just, well, who do you support? Because all the parties that are currently in the parliament were all on board with it. Mm. And it leaves me with a dilemma, like, you know, who do you support? You can't even look at David Seymour and the ACT Party with, without being suspicious because they were all on board all of that as well. That you, that the only difference was that they would be more efficient at stomping on our on our freedoms. Well, yeah, you raise a good point, and 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 um, and I, I don't have the answer for it, right? Because I think it's been a um, I, I, I think um, you know, I, I go back to um, the comedian. Um, who took over from Noah? Um, you know, the South African comedian who took over from on, on the Daily Show. Oh, uh, John. John, what's his name? Yeah. No, no, anyway, um, but he, um, it'll come to me. God, I don't know why I, I, um, I, I can't. Uh, Trevor Noah. Oh yeah, yeah. Anyway, so he said he's South African, and he said an interesting thing that when. Um, Mandela came and they had the truth and reconciliation um, uh, process. And yes. no one was going to be sent to jail if they told the truth. Right? And he yep. says that created a very healthy environment where people could discuss things openly. And he said that racism was addressed and people, yep, no, just, we don't get into denial. And he goes, the South African political dialogue was better than America. Yeah. Because there's a suppression all the time. He goes, there wasn't that, you know, first time. And that stopped the Civil War. And that's a clear example, you know, by people saying, okay, we don't know how we're going to get through through this, right? And they got through it. You know, not great, but they got through it. Yeah. And so my thing is, is that I'm never afraid of someone else's speech, and nor should anyone, right? You know, and you're just, you know, if you disagree and you think it's really bad, then you have a right and you have a responsibility to engage. Engage right? and challenge it's, and offer your own ideas. That's society it develops, right? Always. There's a lot of things going to go, okay, racism or separatism or other things, and that's a two-way street too in some people's minds. Good. Debate it. We're grown-ups, you know, and um, and we'll change each other's views and um, we'll have an outcome. So I think that all debate is healthy. And the less you agree, agree with, the better it is, you know. And that's how society it changes, and it stops us from undercurrent. It stops us from having a very unhealthy society of fear. And in the end, the state. And I say this from some experience, right? I mean, in different worlds. In the employment world I work in, I'm constantly suppressed to protect yep. those with power who've been exploiting. And they have all these agreements are confidential. It's the whole thing's a rot. So all yep. employment law is done on no admission of guilt, and it's all kept in confidential. Why? Yep. You know? And the thing is, is that if people knew what people were doing, then they would change. 
they just see this all as a racket. And there's a whole industry of people suppressing those who are poor and vulnerable and they get away with it. It's just a racket, all protected by, by the state. So that's the extreme example, but it can go everywhere. Yeah. And so I I ignore the suppression. So it's a bit of a history that you have in common. So I was even threatened with our suppression or, or, or order last week. Yeah. I said, I'll write about it. Okay. Then they backed off. Yeah. You know, I get about six suppression cases or, you know, liable cases a year. Yeah. About every two months I get them. You know, and I just send it, send, send it back with F off, sort of on it. <laughs> and, um, and I don't hear from them again because it's just, it's all to intimidate. Shutting people up to intimidate them from speaking their truth. The poor or those with a different view from those who rule us, the only thing they have is their voice. And they and must have their voice. And that's where the media have let down society because they've become part of the state's apparatus. And that's in, in silencing points of view that they are deemed to be um, not in the best interests of whoever. Well, what it is, is you know, right? It's a very middle class thing you know, of sensitivity and saying, I need to be protected by your ideas because mm. you're confronted with. What they're really saying is that those ideas are challenging and I don't have an answer for that. So you have to shut up. I think that's an extreme thing, but yes. But, 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 but I, I, look, I deal with a lot of lefties, right? And yeah. when I talk about lefties, I come from a working class left. You call a spade a spade, you know, and you say what you think. Yeah. What we have now, I think, is more of a liberalism, you know, liberal left, if you like, a yeah. middle class left, and their feelings are more important. Yeah. And I just said, but your feelings are not a reason that I can't say what I think, you yeah. know, and, um, you know, you can't be protected from other people's ideas, but they think they can. And um, I think it's become very extreme and I think unhealthy. Oh, well, I think I know it's unhealthy. And, um, and um, you know, I, I just will support all occasions for workers to have free speech, which shouldn't even be... Shouldn't something. even be... Shouldn't even be arguing about it. It should... Well, should. You know, no, we, because in um, in the states, of course, with the um, Southern Poverty Centre, the, the Southern Poverty Law Centre, they used to defend Nazis, right? Because mm. they uh, because they said the right to speak is important for all people, including you know their main focus is on on black people. But yeah. they knew that by defending all right to speech, that was the way that you could deal with racism. Yeah. You know? And, yep. um, you know, tell the truth. And I said before, as I said before, you know, for those without power, the only thing they have is their voice. And those with power want to close those vo vo voices down for their own reasons. And I think that needs to be fought. And that's the reason why the founding fathers of the United States had the First Amendment being the right to free speech. Absolutely. And the Second Amendment was the right to be armed to protect the right to free speech. Yes, I think that's been misconstrued a bit, but anyway, that's a whole different debate. But, um, it is. Um, you know, um, yeah. But, yeah, I think it might be more an important sort of issue than than, than a philosophical one. Um, these kids run, sort of run, run, run around with machine guns sort of mowing down their classmates. Yeah, yeah. 
That's right. What's Matt McCartan's prediction for this election? Oh, I think I'll round up to final to 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 wrap yeah. this all up. No, no, Where are I we think, heading, Matt? I think it'll be close. I think it'll be close. Yeah. Uh, I think that late Labour their two own goals with Kerry and Michael Wood. I think that's um, done them some damage the way they managed it. But I think that uh, Chris Luxton has got a glass jaw. Yeah. I think in the debates, I think that Chris Hipkins Hip- will dominate that. Yeah. And and all governments say don't don't put it at risk. I don't think that National has earned its right to be government this time. I think this thing, I think that the Maori Party are going to keep the, the Labour Party in. So I think um, it'll be close. I think it'll be within two or three seats one way or the other. If Labour runs a good campaign, they, they could pull it off. If they if an election was done today, of course, that they'd lose. Yeah. But, um, you know, what Labour are good at that the Nats are not good, good, good at, they do early voting really well. Yes. And I think that that may make a difference. If the Māori Party can pull off four seats or maybe even get to five, five, five percent of the polls, I think then that's going to make the difference. We'll know in a few short weeks, won't we? Well, I have to put a dollar on it now. I go for Labour led by a inch. Well, I reckon it's harder to pick than a broken nose. I agree. But I think you asked me to make a pick, so I'll make a pick. Good on you. Thanks so much for coming on The Crunch with me uh, today, Matt, and I hope that's given listeners a bit of an understanding about how you and I have have operated behind the scenes to to actually make some things happen. All right, brother. Thank you so much. Like Morris Williamson, Matt McCartan has some great yarns to share about his roles in the trenches of New Zealand politics. I hope you enjoyed hearing his pearls of wisdom as much as I enjoyed talking about them with him. This is The Crunch with Cam Slater. Conversations with a side of controversy right here on RCR.